seventh grader who is growing up in the late 60s, and uh, he has to traverse all the many pitfalls and difficulties and, and minefields of junior high school at that time. And we know that as we watch that show, especially the first two seasons are wonderfully written and acted. And in those first couple seasons in particular, he never would have made it through junior high had Kevin not had a little help from his friends, especially his friends, uh, Winnie Cooper, the girl next door, that it was Kevin's heartthrob and his best friend, you remember his name? Paul's best friend, Paul. And so those two helped him traverse those difficulties of junior high. And I think similarly, in order for us as Christians to be able to navigate the minefields uh, of this thing that we call life, you and I need a little help from our friends as well, don't we? We need a little help from our friends. And so what we're going to see as we dive into this last section of Colossians chapter 4 today is that this call uh, in life that God has given us to live out the ministry that he's called us to live out, to carry out the work that he's called us to carry out. It's something that cannot be done alone. When it comes down to it, my success in life and ministry is never my success. It's our success. Amen? And similarly, as you are growing in your faith and you are serving the Lord, your success in life and ministry is not your success. It's our success because we're in this together, aren't we? We're in this together. Following Jesus and growing in our faith and doing great ministry is always a team effort. It's always a team effort. So we're going to bring the lights back up here and we're going to take out our Bibles and our message notes from our bulletins. So make sure you've got that Bible in hand. We're not going to put all the verses on the screen because we want you to see it for yourself in your own Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, we encourage you to bring it with you next week. And in the meantime, you can grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. Those message notes are in your bulletin. Pull those out as well with a pen or pencil so you can jot down some notes and fill in some blanks along the way. So we're going to dive into this great... Uh, final part of Colossians chapter 4 as we wrap up this message series this morning. And I think you're going to be blessed by what we read. Because the truth is, it's not just uh, you and, and me who need to have friends to help us to carry out this ministry that God's called us to do. It's comforting to, comforting to see in this passage that Paul himself, the great apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul himself even needed friends. He wouldn't have been able to accomplish half of what he was able to accomplish while he was incarcerated there in Rome, had it not been for the fact that he had some friends that were able to help him in his ministry. And so we're in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Say amen if you're there. Here we go. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. 
He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name asking you that you would bless us as we study your word today. Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this room in a a palpable way. Holy Spirit, that you would anoint my lips to speak your word faithfully and with the passion that your holy word deserves. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our ears that we would hear what is being preached, O God, your word that is being spoken so that it would not return to you void. Help our minds to concentrate on you, Lord, because our minds have this tendency to wander. Help our hearts, O God, to be soft soft and moldable by your word. We pray, O Lord, that you would move in this place over these next few minutes as we dive into your word together for your honor and glory and the advancement of your kingdom here on earth and all God's people said, Amen. So here in these final 12 verses of Colossians, Paul identifies by name eight of his co-workers and friends who were right there with him in Rome while he was under house arrest awaiting for that trial before the mighty Caesar. There he was under house arrest with the the guard at his side at all times, 24-7, making sure he didn't escape, making sure he didn't pull any fast ones, making sure he didn't break the law. There he was under house arrest, but praise God, God had placed eight wonderful co-workers and friends right there beside Paul as he was there in Rome. And there's two other individuals mentioned in this chapter at the very end, those last few verses. And these are two Christian co-workers and and two Christian friends who were there in Colossae. They would be the recipients of this letter that he was finishing and was going to send to them shortly. And so here in these final 12 verses, if you look at the eight who were with Paul and, and the two that were going to be recipients of this letter, they're in Colossae. There are these ten co-workers and friends that he is going to address by name here in these final 12 verses. I, I like how Pastor John MacArthur describes these verses here in chapter 4. John MacArthur describes this as a kind of verbal group photograph. I like that. I think that describes it really well. We know that in Paul's day, he didn't have the technology to take out his smartphone and put it in selfie mode and do one of these numbers as he's there in Rome. He couldn't have his eight friends gather around him and say, hey guys, we're going to smile for a photo here. He couldn't take a selfie. And so he did the next best thing. With his words, he painted a verbal group photograph of those co-workers and friends who were at his side. And here we get the privilege and honor of reading the words within this group photograph to get to know each of these friends who served alongside Paul so faithfully. So we're going to look at each of these ten, one at a time. And so imagine yourself uh, zooming in on a group photograph, and one at a time we're looking at each person in that photograph, 
as Paul describes them. And as we do that, I want you to ask two questions along the way. Number one, ask yourself this question. Which of these Christian friends has God placed in my life? Which of these ten Christian friends has He placed in my life? And then secondly, ask yourself the question, which of these Christian friends am I? Which one am I? And I think you'll find as we look at these ten friends, you will find yourself in at least a few of these descriptions of these friends of Paul. So Paul starts in verses 7 through 9 by giving a quick snapshot of his two friends that I'm calling his mail carrier friends. First of all, he's going to identify the two guys who he was going to entrust this letter of Colossians to. They were going to deliver this letter of Colossians to the church there in Colossae. And so the first of these Christian mail carrier friends is identified in verse 7 as Tychicus. Say that with me. Tychicus. That's an interesting name if any of you ladies are expecting. This is a wonderful name for a bouncing baby boy. I I don't think we give this name nearly enough credit. If you have a girl, that's okay. How about uh, 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 Tychicus Lupe or something? You know, you could take this name and, and do something lovely to make it very feminine as well. So Paul Paul describes Tychicus here in verse 7. Notice that description. He says three things about him. He is a dear brother, he is a faithful minister, and he is a fellow servant in the Lord. What a wonderful thing to say about any Christian. Number one, he is a dear brother. Uh, This word dear is a translation of the Greek word agape. It's a form of the word agape he uses here. So in other words, he's saying this guy Tychicus is a dearly loved brother in Christ. Second, he says he's a faithful minister. In other words, he was a Christian brother who Paul could count on to do what needed to be done. Aren't those Christians awesome? Ones you can count on to do what needs to be done. Thirdly, he says there in verse 7 that he is a fellow servant in the Lord. Like Paul, Tychicus wasn't building his own kingdom. He was humbly serving Christ and building Christ's kingdom. Now, on this occasion, we read in the next verse that Paul gave Tychicus two very important responsibilities. Number one, Tychicus was entrusted with this letter to the Colossians. It was his job to travel some 1,200 miles from Rome to Colossae with this letter in hand and be able to read this to the church there in Colossae. He was going to personally deliver this letter. Now that's some undertaking to travel 1,200 miles. It's like traveling from Victorville to the east side of Texas. It's a long way when you don't have American Airlines or Amtrak. You know, he had oceans in the way. This, this was not something easy for him to do. But Tychicus took what likely was a two- to three-month journey, I'm guessing, to deliver this letter. That was his first job. The second responsibility Paul gave to Tychicus was that he was to give the Colossian Christians a detailed update on Paul's situation so that they could be encouraged. Now, it was important to Paul because he had gained word that these false teachers were coming into Colossae. We've talked about this in past weeks. They were coming in. They were peddling some uh, religious snake oil to the Christians there in Colossae. And so it was important for Paul to spend his time in this letter warning them about the false teaching, encouraging them to stand firm in the faith. And so he didn't want to waste space in this precious letter by giving them all of these detailed updates about his situation there under arrest in Rome. 
And so he entrusted that with Tychicus. Tychicus, I'm focused on the most important things in this letter. I'm counting on you to give them an update on my situation as I'm incarcerated here in Rome. If we look at Tychicus elsewhere in the New Testament, it may surprise you this is not the only place we find him in the New Testament. We discover elsewhere that he was one of Paul's most faithful co-workers and friends in ministry. In Acts 20 verse 4, uh, which was uh, probably several years before Paul wrote Colossians here, we read that Tychicus was with Paul as Paul traveled to Jerusalem. That's where he was arrested and eventually sent to Rome to stand before the Caesar. A few years after writing Colossians, we read that Tychicus was a man that Paul entrusted to lead the churches that Timothy and Titus were pastoring when they were not available and had to go and carry out other missions. Paul entrusted Tychicus with their posts as pastors of those two different churches. So if you look at Tychicus and all that we read about him in the New Testament, I want to summarize it this way. Tychicus was the friend Paul could always count on. He was a friend Paul could always count on. Let me ask you, has God placed a Tychicus in your life? Has God placed a Tychicus in your life, a Christian friend who you can always count on no matter what? If the answer is yes, you need to count yourself blessed. Because that is a huge blessing to have a Christian friend who sticks by your side and is always trustworthy and faithful. And let me ask you, Are you a Tychicus for the Christian friends that you have? Are you a Tychicus? Always faithful, always reliable, always a friend that others around you, especially those in the church, can count on. Well, Tychicus is the first of the ten friends that Paul identifies there in this verbal group photograph. The second of these is also one who I would call a mail carrier friend. Uh, His name is Onesimus. He's identified in verse 9. Say with me, Onesimus. Onesimus, ladies, another great name here. I'm telling you, this is a gold mine for baby names right here in chapter 4. So how does he describe Onesimus? Well, in verse 9, Paul says he is our faithful and dear brother. So like Tychicus, Onesimus was a guy Paul could count on, and he was dearly loved. Now, Onesimus, I think, is one of the most interesting little-known characters in the New Testament. If I ever write a follow-up book to that book I wrote four years ago, a holy hool to lessons you should never forget from Bible characters you've never heard of, there identified, I identified in that book some 13 Old Testament characters that most Christians don't know about. And so I thought over the years about doing a sequel, and I think if I ever did, I would probably include Onesimus in one of these chapters, because he's an interesting guy that most Christians don't know about. Onesimus is, told, uh, is talked about in the book of Philemon, a short little book that Paul wrote, a little bit further along in the New Testament than Colossians here. And we find in the book of Philemon that Onesimus was a slave. But not only that, he was an escaped slave. His master's name was Philemon. That's why the book is called Philemon. And so Paul, at the same time he writes Colossians, writes this short letter to Philemon regarding his slave Onesimus, because what happened was Onesimus was an unbeliever, and he was a slave to his master uh, Philemon, but one day he decided to run away from his master. And if we read between the lines there in Philemon, it seems like there was a good chance on the way out of town he stole something valuable from Philemon before he took off. 
And so here we have this, these pieces we kind of piece together from Philemon, from Colossians, and other places in the New Testament. What we can discover is this seems to have been the course of events. We have Onesimus who takes off from either Colossae or Laodicea, runs away from his master Philemon, takes something valuable with him. Somewhere after running away, he comes across Paul. And Paul, it seems, leads him to a saving knowledge of Christ. So at the time that he is mentioned here in Colossians, uh, Onesimus has given his life to Christ. He has stayed with Paul and begun to help Paul in his ministry. And Paul sees him as extremely valuable. But at this time, Paul realizes it's necessary for Onesimus to go back to his master, whom he had run away from, and face the music. And so what we believe happened was Tychicus and Onesimus were entrusted with two letters. They were to travel 1,200 miles back to Colossae to deliver the letters to the Colossians, and at the same time to go back to Onesimus' master and deliver the letter of Philemon to him. And he was ready to face the music, whatever Philemon would do. And whatever he chose to do to Onesimus would be just and fair because of what Onesimus had done to him. But Paul sends him back, and in the book of Philemon he says, he's not as he was when he left you. He is now a brother in Christ. And I encourage you, I urge you to treat him as a brother in Christ. So I like to think of Onesimus as Paul's friend, who was the rebel with a cause. Amen? He was a rebel, but he came to Christ. And after he came to Christ, God gave him a cause. How many of you used to be a rebel before you came to Christ? Okay, the rest of you probably aren't being honest. This church is filled with rebels who have come to Christ. For instance, when you came through the front door, you were greeted by that guy that gave you the warm greeting and offered to hold your car keys for you. He was convicted of grand theft auto last month. Totally kidding, no. And so, but we have a number of people around here who have had some sordid pasts. All of us have gotten involved in some things in our past lives that were not good, right? Things that we are not proud of. Skeletons in the closet. What a blessing to know that we can be like Onesimus before we came to Christ. We were rebels without a cause. But as Jesus Christ came in, He transformed our hearts and He transformed our lives and gave us purpose and meaning just like Onesimus. I'm curious, do you have an Onesimus in your life? A Christian friend who's a former rebel who's there at your side faithfully serving alongside you. Or maybe you are that Onesimus, that former rebel who Jesus Christ has reformed. Maybe you're here today and you're still that rebel. I hope that today Jesus Christ will touch your heart and you'll give your life to Him because He alone can transform that rebel heart of yours into something useful and purposeful in God's kingdom. Amen? So those are two of Paul's letter-carrying friends. And starting in verse 10, Paul identifies three Jewish Christian friends who stayed with him there faithfully in Rome. Remember these first two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus? He's sending them back to Colossae. But here are the first three guys that stayed with Paul as he's there incarcerated in Rome. And all three of these guys, uh, Paul says, were Jews. They were former Jews who came to Christ. So starting in verse 10, we have this first guy, Aristarchus. Say that with me. Aristarchus, Paul says he was my fellow prisoner, my fellow prisoner. As best as we can tell, Aristarchus wasn't under house arrest like Paul, but he made it his life's goal to be with Paul 
whatever Paul needed and stick by his side as long as Paul needed him. So he hadn't been arrested as best as we could tell, but he lived as if he had been, as if he was a prisoner. Aristarchus is mentioned several times in the book of Acts. We learn in Acts that he was a native of the city of Thessalonica in northern Greece. For several years, he was one of Paul's most trustworthy traveling companions and friends. He accompanied Paul on his trip to Jerusalem. He accompanied Paul on his voyage to Rome, including when Paul's ship uh, was shipwrecked and he almost lost his life. Aristarchus was right there with him. Aristarchus also was no stranger to persecution. We read in Acts 19.29 that when that mob formed in Ephesus, that mob formed and the crowd wanted to take hold of Paul and they wanted to beat him and they wanted to throw him before the judges, but they couldn't find Paul. So who'd they grab instead? They grabbed Aris. Aristarchus, they grabbed him. And they pulled him before the mob. And so this guy was taking some lumps for Paul. That's why I think of Aristarchus as Paul's friend who'd take a bullet for him. Paul's friend who would take a bullet for him. And I'm curious, do you have a Christian friend who would take a bullet for you? And here's the kicker. Not just a Christian friend who would take a bullet for you, but to come back and stand by your side as soon as they're released from the hospital. That's not easy. Sometimes we have a friend that might take a bullet for us, but once they are coming out of the hospital, once they are healing from that injury that they incurred because they were at your side, because they had your back, because they supported you, a lot of those friends will take off and say, you know what? It's too hot in the kitchen. I've done my duty. I took my bullet. I'm out of here. But not Aristarchus. He came right back and served Paul faithfully regardless of the fact that he had taken some bruises and some lumps for the sake of Christ and for the sake of serving alongside Paul. That's an amazing thing to have a friend like Aristarchus. You have an Aristarchus in your life or are you an Aristarchus to someone in this room today? Do those around you who you consider your Christian friends, do they know that you would take a bullet for them? Do they know that you have their back? And do they know that when you take that blow for them, you're not going to take off afterward? Paul was extremely blessed to have a friend like Aristarchus. The second Jewish friend who stayed with Paul that he identifies is Mark. Now Mark, he says, was the cousin of Barnabas. Mark is probably one of the very best known of Paul's ten friends that he mentions here in Colossians 4. Uh, Mark is so well known because he was the one that wrote the second book of our New Testament, the Gospel according to Mark. We know from all the different accounts in the New Testament that John Mark was the one that went with Paul on his first missionary journey. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had left from their home church in Antioch and they had headed off to share the gospel in the northern uh, part of uh, northwest area of, of Asia. And as they went off on their mission, Mark went with them. He was a young guy. We don't know how old, but I'm thinking maybe 18 years old or so at the time. And he begins this journey, but shortly into that missionary journey, what does Mark do? He says, Barnabas, Paul, nice knowing you. I'm out of here. He takes off and goes home. He turns around and leaves Paul and Barnabas. And so that really got on Paul's nerves. And so when it came time a year or two later to go back on their second missionary journey, Barnabas said, hey, let's bring Mark with us again. And Paul said, over my dead body. We're not taking that punk kid. I can't trust him. 
He hightailed it out of here when we needed him the most the last time. I am not bringing him on this missionary journey. And we know that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement. They parted ways. And so Paul went off without Mark this time. But what happens as the New Testament unfolds is we get to a point where somewhere along the way, Paul and Mark had mended some fences. They had repaired their relationship. And so when we get to Colossians here, notice that Paul considers Mark a useful and helpful servant at his side. Isn't that beautiful? Just a few years earlier, Paul said, I want nothing to do with that guy. He's not reliable. He's a flake. But Mark had endeared himself to Paul once again. And by the time a few years later that Paul writes the final letter of his life, the letter we know is 2 Timothy, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark Bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that awesome? What a story of redemption there. He is helpful to me in my ministry. Mark ends up writing the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Mark, that has blessed hundreds of millions of Christians over the past 2,000 years. So Mark, you can think of as Paul's friend who almost got away. His friend who almost got away. I wonder, do you have a Christian friend like that? A Christian friend who almost got away. A Christian friend who used to be a flake. Anyone know a, a Christian friend that used to be a flake? You don't have to raise your hand if it's, it's better for your own health not to raise that hand. That's okay. Do you have a, a, a friend, maybe a, she used to always uh, promise to do something and never followed through, never came through for you, but God has changed them. And now they're more than making up for lost time. That was Mark. He more than made up for lost time as he served Paul in his final years. Sometimes our almost got away Christian friends are our very best co-workers in ministry. Because they come into that ministry feeling bad for the way they used to live. Feeling a little bit guilty that they had flaked on you before. Sometimes those are our most faithful co-workers in ministry. Those that realize they blew it in prior years. But they're making up. For lost time. Perhaps this describes you as well. You look back and say, you know what? I look back at my early Christian years and I didn't follow Jesus Christ worth a darn. You know what? I went through the motions. I'd show up at church on, on Christmas and Easter and every once in a while in between. Uh, I would go through the, the motions and say a prayer when I was supposed to or open my Bible when I was supposed to. But I was doing nothing for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has convicted you and you say, you know what? My life's not being extended any, as each week passes, I've got one week less on this earth to live. I'm going to use the days I have left to serve Jesus Christ with everything I've got. Maybe you're like Mark, Paul's friend who almost got away, but now you're serving him better than ever. The third Jewish friend who remained at Paul's side was a guy named Jesus, who is also called Justice. That name Jesus uh, is a different form of the name Joshua. So it was very common among Jews back then. Jesus didn't have a very unique name. It was a very common name. Joshua or Jesus means the Lord saves. And many Hebrew parents named their child either Jesus or Joshua. But this guy went by the name Justice. You might call that his nickname. And we know absolutely nothing about this guy Justice. 
because this is the only place he's mentioned in the New Testament. But we do read in Acts 28, verse 24, that Paul, when he was under house arrest there in Rome, he was under house arrest for at least two years, and we read that during that time, different Jews from Rome would come to Paul as he was there under house arrest. These Jews would come, and he shared the gospel with them. And so our best guess is uh, Jesus called Justice was one of these Jews who came to Paul in Rome and was led to Christ by Paul and turned around and became one of Paul's most faithful workers. So since we don't know much of anything about Justice here, I like to think of Justice as a Paul's you-probably-don't-know-him friend. Do you have a friend like that? A friend that is very dear to you and helpful to you, but hardly anyone else knows them. Uh, we've got some individuals in the church that are, you might call it wallflowers. They say very little. They're never in the spotlight. But man, are they helpful in the ministry. Behind the scenes doing some wonderful work for the Lord. Behind the scenes supporting our leadership and doing whatever it takes to make a worship service or a Bible study function properly. Sometimes God places those individuals in our life and uh, they may be very introverted. They may shun the spotlight every opportunity they get. But man, does God use them for His kingdom purposes. Maybe your justice. You, you like to be behind the scenes. You don't like anyone to single you out or to know you. The last thing you want is a pat on the back when you do something for the Lord. But you're very, very important in the life of those who are serving Christ there in the spotlight. God blessed Paul with Jesus called justice. Well, starting in verse 12... Paul begins to identify three more of his ten friends, and these three guys are Gentile Christians who stayed with Paul in Rome. And so that first group of three were three Jewish Christians who stayed with Paul and were at his side. These next three are Gentile Christians. They were non-Jews. Now, as someone in the first century read these upcoming verses, they would have been blown away by what Paul writes here in verses 12 through 15. And we don't think much of it these days, but they would have been blown away by this because in those days, Jews and Gentiles didn't work together very much. Uh, they didn't work together in unity. They didn't serve uh, the Lord together. It wasn't very common back then. So this was a, a huge countercultural thing for Paul to identify in this group photograph Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians side by side serving the Lord together in unity. It would have been huge to those original readers. The first of those Gentile Christian friends at Paul's side was named Epaphras. Say that with me. Epaphras. Okay, the rest of you, you still with me? Epaphras. There we go. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul mentions Epaphras in this letter. Paul mentioned him in chapter 1, verse 7. Remember, Epaphras was the guy who most likely started the Colossian church. As we piece the details together, it seems like when Paul was spending three years uh, in the city of Ephesus, which, if I remember right, was about 80 miles or so away from Colossae. As Paul was there for three years, uh, Epaphras was in town. And Epaphras heard the gospel preached by Paul. He came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And then after he'd been discipled by Paul, he goes back to his hometown of Colossae and tells the people about Jesus. Amen? And as he tells them about Jesus, he plants the Colossian church. And then he goes to the next town, Laodicea, and he probably planted that church as well. Maybe even the church beside that one in Hierapolis as well. So quite likely Epaphras, who Paul calls out here in chapter 4, was the church founder and pastor of that Colossian church. And so Paul lifts him up, and he was such a faithful servant of Paul. 
Paul, somewhere along the way, had led Epaphras to Christ, and somewhere along the way, after Epaphras had planted that church in Colossae, uh, met back up with Paul and began to stay at his side and minister alongside Paul. And so Epaphras is identified here as, as one of those faithful servants. Notice what Paul writes about Epaphras in, in verses 12 and 13. Notice in verses 12 and 13, Paul says, He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras had the heart of a pastor. Even when he wasn't physically with that church that he had started and pastored, even though he was 1,200 miles away, Paul would look at him day after day, and Epaphras evidently would be off in the corner of that room on his knees, praying out loud, crying out in prayer for his friends back there in Colossae, praying for them, knowing that those false teachers were coming in, praying for them that they would stand firm in the faith, praying for them that God would bless their ministry, that they would lead many to Christ. He was toiling in prayer for this church. That's why I consider Epaphras Paul's prayer warrior friend. Do you have an Epaphras in your life? Maybe it's like the Epaphras that Paul knew. Maybe it's someone that you personally led to Christ. And now that person has turned around as they've matured in their faith and they're, they're serving the Lord with you. And they're one of the greatest prayer warriors you know. And you look at your own ministry and say, I'm doing some good work for the Lord, but boy, this Epaphras next to me, it seems at times that their work is even more important because they're on their knees talking directly with God in heaven, interceding for the church. The gift of intercession and the role of being an intercessor is so important in ministry. Epaphras was a prayer warrior. I want to thank each of you who are part of our prayer chain. And you'll get prayer requests coming in via email every single week. And a lot of times, those prayer requests will come in. And the person you're asked to pray for, you don't even know. But you're praying for them anyway. Thank you for doing that. There's individuals you're praying for that you've never met. But you're praying for them anyway. Thank you for doing that. Those of you that come on Monday nights and you look at those communication cards and you pray for that prayer request, oftentimes it's written by a person you don't know in this church, but you pray for them as if it was your best friend. Thank you for doing that. Prayer is such a critical ministry in Christ's church. Epaphras was Paul's prayer warrior friend. Do you have a prayer warrior friend in this church? And are you a prayer warrior for those you serve the Lord with here at FCC? Oh, the next one he identifies almost needs no introduction. The second of those three Gentiles that's sticking by Paul's side there in Rome is good old Luke. Have you heard of that guy? Good old Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke was the one that wrote the third book of our New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke, and he also wrote the fifth book of our New Testament, the book of Acts. So here we have a friend who was brilliant. Because he was a trained doctor, a physician. In fact, most likely he was Paul's personal physician. He was a historian. If you read the book of Acts or the book of Luke, you can quickly see that the guy that wrote this was a historian. He was a stickler for detail. He researched all that he needed to research in order to write those two books. And one thing that I think is remarkable about Luke, Bible scholars believe that he's probably the only Gentile who wrote a book of the Bible. 
All the other 64 books of the Bible written by Jews or Jewish Christians, Luke wrote two books, probably the only two books of the Bible written by a Gentile. Now, who wrote the most number of books in the New Testament? Paul. You remember how many he wrote? There's 27 books in the New Testament. He wrote 13 of those books. Almost half of the total books in the New Testament. But catch this. Paul's letters, for the most part, are pretty short. If you stack up his 13 letters in the New Testament, put them beside Luke's two books in the New Testament, Luke actually wrote a larger portion of the New Testament than did Paul. His two books are longer than Paul's 13 put together. And so Luke is such an important figure in the New Testament. And he was who he was in large part because he was right alongside Paul year after year after year. If you read the book of Acts, you'll notice that parts uh, you'll find in the book of Acts, particularly in the second half of the book of Acts, as Paul is on his missionary journeys, you come across the pronouns we or us, which lead us to believe that Luke was with him during many of those missionary trips that Paul took. And we know that Luke went with Paul as he went to Jerusalem and as he was arrested and then he was uh, sent to Rome. Luke was with him all those years that he was going through that and he's still with Paul as he's under house arrest here in Rome. So I like to think of Luke as Paul's brilliant, life-saving friend. I don't know about you, but I think we all need some brilliant, life-saving friends, don't you? One thing I think that's encouraging, think about this. Paul had a personal physician. Paul was the guy that was able to heal the sick. God gave him that miraculous ability. We know that on at least one occasion, Paul was able to raise the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. So here you have an apostle who's able to heal the sick, even at at times able to raise the dead, and he needed a personal doctor. Maybe God's trying to tell us something, you think? There's a role for in faith believing that God is going to heal you. That's a beautiful thing. But as you're believing that God is going to heal you, please go to the doctor anyway. I think that's one of the smaller lessons that we can pull from this story of Luke and the role that he played in Paul's ministry. Luke was Paul's brilliant, life-saving friend. Uh, All of us, I think, need a brilliant, life-saving friend. Some of us uh, can think of that friend immediately. Boy, this guy's IQ is off the charts. This Christian's amazing. If I ever got on that show, who wants to be a millionaire, uh, he'd be my phone-a-friend. This guy is better than Siri. I don't pull out my phone and ask Siri uh, some strange fact. I just go to this friend. He's got this encyclopedia in his brain that's absolutely amazing. Now, how many of you, how many of you are a Luke in someone else's life? Oh, yes, I am brilliant. I am a genius for all of my Christian friends. Just ask me any question and I will wax eloquently and amaze you with my intellect. Now, usually we don't see that in ourselves, but... Oftentimes others can see it in us, that you are someone that they can go to. You know what? I, I can't find that verse. You know, where, where is that verse in Scripture? It says, God helps those who help themselves. And your friend says, uh, that's a, a beautiful, beautiful proverb, but I'm sorry, it's not in Scripture. Right, where is this verse that says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some? I can't find it anywhere. And that friend will be able to tell you where it is. You know, I don't understand the Trinity. Can you explain that to me? Those that have a higher intellect, able to, able to understand some of the deeper truths of Scripture, 
in many cases, God has blessed them with the ability not just to understand those higher truths, but to communicate it in layman's terms so almost anyone can understand. We all need those kinds of friends in our lives that don't simply understand it themselves, but can say it in a way that we can understand it as well. Luke was that brilliant, life-saving friend of Paul. Well, Paul, finally in the chapter, identifies two of his Christian friends who are there in Colossae, who are a part of the church that's going to be receiving this letter. The first of those in verse 15 is a woman named Nympha. Say that with me. Nympha, another beautiful name here. Nympha, I like to refer to as Paul's gifted hostess friend. Because Paul identifies her in this verse, verse 15, as the hostess of the church in Colossae. So that church, remember in those days they didn't have church buildings. Those church congregations met in homes. And so the church met in Nympha's home. She was a wonderful hostess for that church in Colossae. So Paul greets her by name. We all need Nymphas in our lives, don't we? Those that have that gift of hospitality, uh, we've had a number of Nymphas in our church over the years that have been uh, more than happy to invite the teenagers over to their home for a Bible study or come over to their home to swim in the pool for uh, an activity in the summertime. Uh, We've had Nymphas in our church that have held adult Bible studies in their home. We have Nymphas that will host someone, uh, maybe a visiting minister from out of town, Uh, Maybe uh, Brennan, many of you know, lives in Los Angeles, and so oftentimes he'll spend the night when he's up here on the weekend uh, to help lead our worship team. And uh, we have a family in the church, actually two families, that have opened up their home for him to stay at when he's in the area on a weekend. What a wonderful gift. Uh, This next month, we have one of our missionaries going to be back with us again. Joel Copong will be here in mid-April. And at this point, we still need a host home uh, for Joel when he comes. He'll be here for about five nights in the middle of April. And uh, we've got a sign up there in the lobby today. If you live within 15 minutes of the church building here and would like to host Joel, that would be wonderful. It would be a blessing to him. And I tell you, he's going to be a blessing to you. Dean back there uh, hosted him last year, and he was just blown away. It was awesome hearing Joel, who speaks fluently eight-plus languages, who sneaks into China with Bibles. All that he does, it's amazing to be able to host a man like that and hear what the Lord is doing with him and his ministry. Maybe some of you are saying today, I'm going to volunteer to be nymph. I'm going to have Joel at my home. Talk to Reba or Bill uh, there in the lobby if you'd like to do that. We're also looking for individuals to take him out to a meal uh, while he's here during those five or six days. If you'd like to take him out for a bite to eat, you can't host him at your home, but you can show hospitality that way. That would be fantastic. You can sign up at the table if you're interested in that as well. We all need nymphas in our lives with the gift of hospitality who are always willing to take us in and we need to show hospitality to those around us. Finally, the last person he identifies in this verbal group photograph is a guy by the name of Archippus. Say that with me. Archippus. That's a great name, huh? Archippus. This has a nice ring to it. I like that name. So Archippus is the guy that he identifies in verse 17. He says, see to it that you can complete the work that you have received in the Lord. So he addresses Archippus directly in verse 17. Archippus, I've got to tell you something. Make sure you complete the work you have received from the Lord. Now, he's not giving us specifics here. My best guess is, uh, since the former pastor Epaphras was no longer at the church, uh, possibly Archippus was the new pastor. 
And so Paul is urging him to carry on his pastoral work. Uh, maybe he was a missionary that was in town in Colossae at the time. Uh, continue your mission that God has given you to do. Whatever it was, Paul wanted to address him directly and say, Archippus, you need to finish what you have started. You need to cross the finish line. You need to follow through on the calling God has given you. That's why I call Archippus Paul's bring it down the home stretch, friend. He did a great job up till now. Now we need to bring it down the home stretch. Let me ask you, do you have Christian friends who consistently finish what they start? I hope so. Are you a Christian friend who consistently finishes what you start? You follow through to completion what you've committed to do. Well, there you have it. Paul's verbal group photograph, those ten individuals who were his co-workers and friends helping him to carry out the work of ministry so well. Colossians 4 is a reminder to you and me that no Christian is an island. Amen? No Christian is an island. We need each other to stand firm in our faith. We need each other to stay committed to our all-sufficient Savior. We need each other to avoid the pull of religious snake oil salesmen and the pull of our old sinful natures. And we need each other in order to grow in our Christ-like character. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need each other. We need Christian friends to do what God has called us to do. Amen? God has given us a lofty challenge to share the gospel with this Victor Valley and with the world. God has given us a lofty challenge to teach His Word faithfully week in and week out. God has given us this lofty challenge to equip this generation to serve Christ. And I'm here to tell you, I cannot, I will not, there's no possible way that I could ever do this alone. I will fall flat on my face if I try to do those things alone. But together, together, with the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. Amen? And that's the way it works with our Christian growth. That's the way it works with standing firm in our faith. That's the way it works in ministry. You're not a lone ranger, Christian. Just like Paul, we all need a little help from our friends. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Christian co-workers and friends you've placed in my life to help me do what you've called me to do. And I thank you, Lord, that as we sit in this room together, Lord, You've given us a bond of love together. You've given us a calling together. And I pray right now for anyone who's in this room right now, Lord, and they are feeling absolutely, utterly alone. I pray, O oh God, that You would speak into their minds and hearts right now and remind them that they are not alone. To the side, in front, and behind them are Christians who care about them. And want to help them through this valley they're dealing with. Want to help see them through. And I pray, O oh God, in the days to come, that as we stand firm in our faith, as we study Your Word, as we lead people to Christ, as we equip this generation to serve You, I pray, O oh God, that we would stand with arms locked together, serving You in unity, serving You together as friends and co-workers in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.